And that's thank you. You guys always uh, inspire us. Uh, I was sitting here while they are practicing, and then uh, it's not always simple, as simple as uh, you think, uh, because they have to change the chord, they have to uh, emphasize certain part, and so they have to coordinate. So it's always uh, emotional and inspiring and uh, inspirational. So it's great. Thank you very much. And while listening to the praise, I have this uh, kind of uh, image or message. The message is that uh, you go and liberate people from the concept of me because uh, people are enslaved in their own concept of me. Uh, I want them to know me rather than uh, holding on to the concept that they have. I want them to know me. That kind of message came uh, very strongly uh, to, uh, uh, while listening, uh, while doing the uh, praise. I think that's the main message uh, for this retreat. Uh, uh, instead of just holding on to the concept of God, we need to let go of that. Even though it's scary, sometimes we have to let go of that so that we can uh, encounter and uh, meet the reason, uh, the uh, living God, the real God. So that's uh, uh, what uh, we want to do. Uh, throughout this region. And I want you to be uh, the agent or evangelist, no, agent of doing that movement, knowing, truly knowing uh, the living God. And I'm going to explain uh, a little bit uh, later. So let us look at, uh, let's try our best to uh, focus ourselves. Even though you're tired, I'm tired. Uh, when you're tired, just stand up. And then so that you, know, you don't fall asleep. <laughs> Already. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> good, good. I mean, I, I don't mind. Just stand up. And, I mean, it's a physical thing. What can you do? You know, your spirit is willing, but your body is weak, right? <laughs> yeah. So what can you do? Yeah. So, I mean, this morning uh, we uh, discussed uh, three things at least. Uh, uh, it is important uh, to know God because... Uh, it affects the relationship uh, that we have with God. Depending on what uh, understanding you have about God, your relationship uh, with God will be very different. If you have only nominal God, your relationship with God will be just, God's there, but God's not somehow involved in your lives. So it affects the relationship between you and also, it affects uh, your lifestyle, your worldview, uh, your morality. So, uh, it is important to have right understanding. Not right understanding. I, want, I don't want to say right or wrong. Uh, I want to say living understanding. The real understanding uh, of God. I, uh, then, uh, your relationship with God will become much more vital, uh, alive, uh, and your life will become much more abundant, filled with hope and riches and the power of God. So uh, when you truly have understanding of God, all these th uh, things will uh, become characteristic of your life. So I hope that uh, we all understand God because it's important to uh, know God. Second, knowing God is not to fill your brain with, a, with information. We have tendency to 
continuously know without praying. Because that's the only way we learn uh, how to know uh, in our education system. Only way to know is through your brain. But the real knowledge does not necessarily come from the brain. The real knowledge comes from your life, the whole existence. And then you can say that, I know. I'm going to talk about it uh, a little bit later. So uh, whole, our whole understanding of knowing uh, is, uh, is a problematic. Because we only think about, or when we get to know somebody, we only think about uh, the brain exercise, cerebral exercise. But knowing God is very diff different. You can never know God with your brain. You can only know God through your whole existence. So, uh, bring, uh, knowing God always brings about transformation, change. So knowing God does not uh, leave you alone. Knowing God and your change always go together. When it's just a silver exercise, a brain exercise, then knowing God and your life can be totally separate. But knowing God, you have no choice but to change. You have a personal change. It brings trans transformation, not information. And thirdly, knowing God is a process. It's a journey. It is process of our eyes being open. It is journey of hide and seek. So sometimes God hides and we seek and we find God and then we get arrogant and then, uh, too confident and God hides again and then we seek uh, God again and you find God and then uh, you, you get uh, overconfident and God hides again and then you go and seek God. That process has to continue. Hide, hide and seek. But sometimes we find God, oh, I found God 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but doesn't change at all. How can you, how, how is it possible? How is it possible that you know God once and then that's it? Because the only thing that you can see is only a small fraction of God. When you know God, you only see a small fraction of God. You cannot see the whole God. How can you say that this is everything about God? That is a problem, man. That itself is a problem. Because only we see partial thing, you are making it a whole. You know, you see the elephant, I mean, you touch the elephant uh, leg, and you say, oh, elephant is a cylinder. Elephant is like cylinder. I mean, yes, it has a uh, leg like cylinder, but it is not cylinder. So it, you're right that when you say that, yeah, uh, ele uh, elephant has a uh, cylinder-like uh, leg, that is right. But when you start saying that, that elephant is cylinder, then you're wrong. In the same way, when you know only partial God, and then you say that that is a whole of, of God, then it, it becomes a problem. Then 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you understood God in a certain way, and then that doesn't evolve, that doesn't change at all. After 10, 20 years later, then you have to ask yourself, is that really true God to you? Or you're fixed there. So we have to ask ourselves. So knowing God is a process. Ongoing process until we die. Every day, your understanding of God will be revealed to you. So we looked at uh, Ephesians uh, uh, 170 uh, uh, to 19. So you come to know him. 
you shall uh, change uh, the red color into different. <laughs> so a little better? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. You come to know it, and then the eyes of your heart enlightened, and then three things, hope, riches, and power, you will have this. This is a process. That's what's going to happen. That's what St. Paul prayed for. Oh, he's like, a, he sees he see his future like an x-ray. He sees so well. That's why he prayed for the Christians in Ephesians. In Acts, something like scales came off from Paul's eyes, right? That is symbolic saying. I mean, yes, maybe uh, it actually happened, but it is a symbolic way of saying that Paul's eyes were open. So when you uh, look at uh, Acts 19, uh, 9.18, it says, and immediately, that's right after Paul met uh, Christ on the road to Damascus, and immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. His sight was restored. He was never blind. He was never blind. He was able to see fine, but his sight was restored. His insight was uh, restored. His insight about God was restored. He became a new man. He was able to see God in a different way. The reason Jesus Christ came to us was to show the living God. When people were totally enslaved by the law, but by, by God of law, Jesus Christ came to reveal the living God. That's why Jesus Christ came to us. Not to teach us more information about God, but to reveal the living God to each of us. I mean, revealing does not mean that uh, everybody can see it obviously. That's not what revelation is. Revealing is kind of, there is a hidden aspect in the revealing. You have to have a certain condition to be able to see what is revealed. For example, Paul did not see what he saw for longest time. And something happened within him, and then he was able to see. That's what uh, uh, revelation is. Just because it is revealed, uh, uh, everybody sees. It's not that. It's not like that. There has to be a certain condition of the heart to be able to see what is revealed. Elizabeth uh, Johns, uh, Johnson uh, defined the living God in this way. The term living God evokes the realization that there is always more to divine history than human beings can nail down. How true that is. If you nail down who God is 10 years ago and did not change, there is a living God or concept of God. Living God always it's a realization that there is always more to divine mystery than human beings can nail down. And this image uh, came to me. 
Jesus Christ came to not only save us, Jesus Christ came to save God. Jesus came to save God from still naive, naive, worn out concepts to be the living God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus Christ came to save God. Because we human beings love God. God. Jesus Christ came to free God from that prison of human ideas and concepts. So Jesus Christ did not come just to save human beings. Jesus Christ came to save God. And ultimately, that is a way to save human beings. Because they are, are, they have fallen into the idols. It's like living water that is always springing up and running. You know, even though Jesus Christ came to give us, reveal to us the living God, Many people didn't get it. Even the disciples didn't get it. And we still don't get it. I mean, disciples started something new. They didn't get it at first, but they finally got it, and some, they started something new, and then 2,000 years later, they, we human beings fell into their old self. They didn't get it. We don't get it. I want to give you an example. It's a conversation between Jesus and Philip, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus said, If you know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because Jesus Christ came to reveal the living God. That's what Jesus said to Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And we will be satisfied. You know, how frustrating, frustrating Jesus must have been. Jesus just showed the revealed the living God. And then Philip is asking, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It was such a frustrating moment. I mean, Jesus was so frustrated. He revealed the living God, but people did not get it because their eyes are not open. Still, a lot of people don't get it. Ultimately, Phil encountered the living God, but it was hard for him to understand it at first. Okay, let us all rise. Steve starting uh, dozing off, so he's the indicator. <laughs> he doesn't need to stand up. Thank <laughs> you.
We need to encounter the living God. My friend, let us not be fooled by counterfeit God. Counterfeit money looks exactly like the real money. Counterfeit God looks exactly like real God. But let us not be fooled by the counterfeit God. We human beings strangely have tendency to create God instead of searching for the living God. That's strange. I do that. All of us do that. We, we have tendency to create God rather than searching for the living God. I call them idols. We have idols within us. Idols look very, very attractive to you. But we create idols because it's easier, more simple, more convenient. Idols are not wooden sculpture, are wooden sculpture that we worship. Idols are your perception. That's what idols are. Much more sophisticated idols. Heavy wooden sculpture is a very naive, archaic idols, but your perception, that is your idols. When we impose certain fixed perception, ideas, or images on God, then they become idols, even though they are right ideas. God is, yesterday I said, God is revealed to you uniquely. That's wonderful, personally and uniquely. But when you start absolutizing, the God who is revealed to you, then that becomes idols to you. And you start oppressing other people. God created us in God's image. But in modern world, we create God in our image. God created us in God's image. We should not create God in our image. But in modern days, we create God in our image. That is not the living God. That is powerless concept of God. This powerless concept of God will never save you. Will never make your life different. Counterfeit God only create counterfeit religiosity, phony happiness. Almost like happiness forced upon yourself. In other words, almost like I have to be happy. I have to be happy. Why? Why? Because I'm Christian. I'm supposed to be happy. I'm happy. It's almost like happiness forced upon you. That's a phony happiness. When you have counterfeit, counterfeit God 
then you impose that happiness upon yourself. Phony happiness. Language is all there. Hope, riches, and power. But they are merely concepts. But the content is empty. Sometimes I go to certain other services, when they praise and all that, content is missing. Real hope is not there. But you say you have a hope. They are not real. Idols are personification of what you wish and what you dream. That's what idols are. For then you create God in your own image. Idols are personification of what you wish and what you dream. Martin Buber, we talked about it a few uh, years ago, uh, the one who wrote I Thou, he wrote another book, Between Man and Man, between uh, person and person, right? That's, that's, uh, in that book, he said, everyone should carefully observe what way his heart draws him to. You have to carefully observe what draws your heart to. Where? What is your heart drawn to? Honestly, frankly, nakedly, you have to ask yourself, what, how is your heart drawn to? To where is it drawn to? We have to see what is our God. Sami said, those who make them, idols, right? Those who make them are like them. So are all who trust in them. And then I realized that, ah, idols are not just perception. Idols are not just personification of what you dream and what you wish. Idols are yourself. That's all right. Idols are yourself. You. You are worshiping yourself. That's what idols are. And people like to do that. Your wishes, your dream, your desire, your greed, all about you. Idols are God. We create in our own image. We kick out the living God to create our own image. One rabbi said, God is not silent. God is silenced. God is not silent. God is silenced. In your life, God is not silent. You have made God silent. You silenced God. He said, God is in God is in exile. That's what I'm saying. That uh, saying Jesus came to save God because God is in exile. Nietzsche, modern philosopher, uh, existentialist philosopher, he described this very graphically. 
He said, A madman lit a lantern at noon and went into the public market looking for God. Where is God? Mocked by the townspeople in, in an escalating series of exchanges, he finally threw the lantern to the ground. It shattered and its light went out. God is dead, cried the madman. And we have killed him. That's what Nietzsche saw, what modern people do. In the modern world, we don't create a space for the living God. We have kicked out God. God has been pushed out from our heart, from this society, from this world. Only thing that is left within us is the God we created in our own image, only concept remains. The living God is not there, only the concept remains within us. Just, just the ideas of God, just the doctrine, and one's own conviction. When we push God from us, when we are creating God's image, when you push God from you, what is left? Beast. Only beast. But animals with high intelligence and greed are very dangerous. Animals without intelligence or greed are not threatened. But animals with high intelligence and greed are very dangerous. We see that all around. We create nuclear missiles to destroy the whole world. What happened in Orlando? That's what human beings can do and are doing all the time. Animals with high intelligence and greed are very dangerous. It is important for us to restore the living God within us. Knowing God is restoring the living God within us. So now I'd like to talk about uh, three things in getting to know God. We can say that it's a three stages uh, and three, three stages overlap each other. Uh, this is what we are, what we go through in our journey of searching for the living God. So, if you really want to know the living God, then what we need to do? First stage is the stage of accepting our ignorance. That's the first stage: is accepting our ignorance. We have to accept. The fact that we don't know God. It is a way of casting out our idols that are made by our own prejudice, our greed, and our convenience. It is our humble attitude. This is the way to keep us from creating our own idols. Thomas Merton's prayer 
is our prayer. My God, I have no idea where I'm going. St. John of the Cross described his journey of knowing God in this way. When we human beings reach the top of the mountain, unexpectedly, we see a huge cliff in front of you, and you see many mountains in front of you, the more you think you know, the more you realize that you know nothing. All these spiritual giants, Thomas Merton or St. John of the Cross, they are confessing that. And he said, that's when we enter into the cloud of beyond. The cloud of beyond. You start walking into the journey by heart's desire or pain, not by reasoning. Because reasoning can fool you. So you can search for God by heart's desire and or pain. We have to accept our ignorance. But there are two kinds of ignorance. Acknowledged ignorance and unacknowledged ignorance. The ignorance that you do not even know that you do not know. That's unacknowledged uh, ignorance. But ignorance that you know that you do not know. That is acknowledged ignorance. Is the difference? Okay, say it again. First one is unacknowledged ignorance. That is, you do not even know that you do not know. Second one is accepted, acknowledged ignorance that you know that you do not know. You got it now? Yes. Okay, good. When you read the Bible, Jesus often encountered unacknowledged ignorance. They don't even know that they don't know. Many religious leaders Jesus encountered were those. But unacknowledged ignorance is dangerous because it's different, different animal from acknowledged ignorance. Unacknowledged ignorance often accompanies violence. The people who live with unacknowledged ignorance, they are violent because they have to protect themselves. They don't want to admit that they don't know. So they are violent, very aggressive. And these people ultimately killed Jesus. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They do not even know what they don't know. That's unacknowledged ignorance that killed Jesus. Unacknowledged ignorance always brings violence. This kind of ignorance is total blindness. That is the kind of blindness St. Paul had before he met Christ. He thought he knew everything, but he did not even know that he did not know. They thought they knew a lot, but they did not know what they're supposed to know. They should have known. 
You know, once Jesus uh, healed a blind man on Sabbath, and to Jewish, uh, the, the, the religious leaders, the people who have ideas of God, concept of God, it didn't make sense. How could you heal a man on Sabbath? You're a sinner. How could sinners, what is it? How could sinner heal the blind man? That's not possible. So he, uh, they asked the blind man, were you really blind? No, you're lying, right? You, were you blind? Yes, I was blind. No, I cannot believe you. Bring your parents. So they brought parents. Is he really, was he really born blind? And the parents were scared. He is still old enough. Ask him. And they left. What kind of parents are they? <laughs> you know? Ask him. Right? So he was so horrified. So they came back. So, were you really blind? He's a sinner. Jesus is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. And this blind man said, My friend, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But one thing I know for sure is that I was blind, but I see now. What else do you want? That's unacknowledged feelings. What did Jesus say at the end? In that story, if you were blind, you'd not have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. You, your sin remains meaning you're still blind. So real blind is not the born blind man. The real blind were the, were the Pharisees. Who thought that they saw? Who thought that they knew? They did, not, they did not even know that they did not know. That's unacknowledged ignorance. This kind of blindness comes from religious conviction. So religious people, be very careful. Be very careful. Because if you're not careful, that leads into unacknowledged It comes from over-dependency on your reason. Smart people, be very careful. People who think they are smart, raise your hand. <laughs> be very careful. <laughs> be very careful. And it comes from stubborn pride. And also it comes from insatiable greed and strong narcissism. <clears throat> These things create, cause, unacknowledged ignorance. But as you enter into the awesome and mysterious world of God, we realize how little we know compared to the wonderful, awesome world of God. That's when you start seeing that you don't know much. When you see true light, you see your darkness. When you see true righteousness, you see your own imperfection and sinfulness. 
and selfishness. When you see true love, then you will see your own selfishness. Letter to the Romans is all about that. You want to find out more about that? Read uh, Letter to the Romans. He is talking about acknowledged ignorance. He said, I don't understand myself. I try to do the good, but when I look at myself, I'm doing exactly the opposite of the good. Evil, I keep doing. I don't understand myself. That's acknowledged ignorance. It's not that I understand myself. I know me very well. He didn't say, I don't understand myself. Because he saw bigger things. That's when you see the need of God's grace. Huh? I need God's grace to survive. I need God's grace to live. That's when you can recognize your own ignorance. Now Jacob had a problem with his brother Esau. Those are twins, Jacob and Esau. But Esau was a hunter, he went out and always he's like, he lived like a man. But Jacob was like a mama boy. He stayed up, he stayed up all day. But mom liked uh, Jacob. So he cheated uh, the, the, all kinds of things. Uh, so he got the blessing. But the blessing, as, as a result of all that blessing, he was kicked out. He had to run away from home because Esau was trying to kill him. So he ran away. And then when he got to the battle, in the wilderness, he was sleeping. And then in the cold night in the wilderness, he finally realized, ah, God is right here. God has been always with him. But in that cold night in the wilderness, in the desert, he found God. This is what he said. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That's acknowledged ignorance. The Lord is here, but I did not know it. You know, God is always with us. And many times, we don't recognize God. You know, the question, where is God, is like a question of a fish uh, swimming in the water, saying, where is water? <laughs> right? Once uh, we had a retreat, I used to take uh, young people to Algonquin all the times, every year, like 20, 30 people, and we going to the interior. Uh, you know, Susie Lee, your friend's wife, and uh, Susie Lee was there. So we got to the North Tea Lake, and we parked the car, we rented the canoe, and then we go in. So about two hours, so we were canoeing, you know, to find uh, the uh, island. And then in the middle of it, all of a sudden, Susie asked, Are we there at Algonquin yet? <laughs> I mean, we've we, we been Algonquin all this time. And she, are we there at Algonquin yet? It's like, where is God question like 
you know, the fish uh, asking, where is water? God is always with us, always around us, but sometimes we don't recognize that. Prodigal son, only when he had to eat pig's meal, that's when he recognized that. How little I knew. How little I knew. I was arrogant, whatever. And I didn't know. Now I know how much there is in Father's house. Sometimes when we encounter crisis that paralyzes us and experience failure that drive us into helplessness and face problems that seemingly have no solution, our eyes open. I don't know why. When we encounter those situations, our eyes all of a sudden open and see our own ignorance. We are so stubborn sometimes that we don't see until something hits us. Only then we acknowledge how little we know. The story of father who, who had epileptic son. He threw himself into the fire, into the water and all that. He came to the disciples, please heal my son. And the disciples could not heal. And he came to Jesus. And uh, he asked, Jesus, if you can, can you heal my son? And Jesus said, what do you mean if you can? Nothing is impossible with God. And then he got desperate. And then he was afraid that he might have offended Jesus. And then he said, I believe, I believe. You know, because for those who believe, nothing is impossible. And he said, I believe. And immediately after that, he said, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. What, what does that mean? He just said, I believe. But right after that, he said, help my unbelief. That Help my unbelief is acknowledge ignorance. We all need to have that. Lord, I don't know you. Can you please help me see you? Help me know you. Help me experience you. I don't know you. Like, like Thomas Murta, I don't know where I'm going. Can you please help me? That's acknowledge ignorance. Early church father Anselm said a very wise truth. He said, I do not seek to understand so that I may believe, but I believe so that I may understand. And further, I believe that unless I believe, I shall never understand. How wise that is. How wise that is. It is not knowledge that brings faith. It is faith that brings knowledge. Only through that faith you can know God. Here, faith is not religious activity. It's not religious sentiment either. It's not religious knowledge. For Paul, all of these things have blinded Paul. 
religious sentiment, religious knowledge, and religious activity. These things totally blinded all. To me, faith is a kind of acknowledged ignorance. And from that comes strong desire to know God. When you have that acknowledged ignorance, that leads to strong desire to know God. When you have unacknowledged ignorance, that leads you to violence. But when you have acknowledged ignorance, that leads you to strong desire to know God. And from that strong desire, you can know God. As a deer pants for the water, our, our soul thirsts for the living God. In other words, in you, deconstruction has to happen first before reconstruction begins. So you have to have deconstruction process first for the reconstruction to begin. Unlearning has to happen first for the real learning can come. All our prejudices stubbornness and arrogance have to crumble down before the journey of knowing the living God begins. Idols have to be destroyed first for the true living God to come. We are created in God's image. Let us not create God in our own image. When you, we reflected on Abraham, when do you think he really started the journey of knowing the living God? When do you think he really started the journey of knowing the living God? When do you think? When he had to sacrifice his Exactly! When he had to sacrifice his son Isaac. Because it didn't make sense. Until that time, everything made, made sense. But that moment, it didn't make sense. That's why Kierkegaard wrote a whole book on that. That is the moment when he truly encountered his acknowledged ignorance. I don't understand this guy. I don't really understand this guy. That's when the real journey began. God who asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son was God beyond our ethics, custom, thinking, and common sense. That's the kind of God Paul experienced. Two. At that moment, he realized that he didn't really know God. All his ideas of God were shattered. All his concept of God were shattered. He was a man who worshipped idols. In him, they were full of concepts about God who would give him prosperity. Those ideas were totally shattered when God asked him to sacrifice his own son. When Abraham was challenged 
with the problems he could not solve with his own resources, Abraham finally had to lay down his well-defined concept about God and then what did he uh, learn about the living God? He learned Jehovah Jireh. That is, God provides. That is the God he encountered, the living God. And then he lived with that living God. All the times he always believed that God provides. Whenever difficulties come, whenever dilemma comes, whenever paradox comes, he always knew that God will provide. That's a living God he encountered. And he lived with that living God, not with concept of God. The first stage is the most important stage because the living God is not what you acquire. The living God comes when you lay down all your manipulation. Coming of the living God is God's gift, not your effort. So second and third is uh, pretty simple. The second stage is a stage of seeking. The prophet Jeremiah said, Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I'll hear you. When you search for me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I'll let you find me, says the Lord. Without seeking the living God, we can never get to know God. God reveals to those who seek God. But the thing is, when you have acknowledged ignorance, that leads to what? Desire to seek. So second stage is almost natural. It happens. When the first stage happens, second stage happens now naturally. Elizabeth Johnston said in her book, Quest for the Living God, she said, in every aspect, human freedom, like reason, is a dynamism that keeps on transcending beyond everything he grasps. Wonderful, eh? She's a wonderful theologian. Human freedom is like that. You don't just settle with what you know. Once you know, it moves forward to understand further. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, that's the message that I got when, they, when uh, I did praise this evening. Set people free from their concept of God. Set people free. Why are you scared to let go? of those concepts, useless concepts, that don't do anything to you. Set people free from those useless concepts and let them find the living God. That, that living God will save them. The truth shall set you free. I want you to be free Why are you so scared? 
Give me God will punish you. God wants you to need it in a real way. That's what God wants. Then we need to be free. Now with that freedom, we keep knocking. We keep seeking. Part of the reason you don't see, you don't knock is because, oh, other people said that God is like this, but I don't kind of believe that. That's why, oh, but that's an authentic God. So I don't want to do anything. So mediocre Christian. Find your own God. Nobody can dictate who God is to you. She also said this. Human spirit is characterized by an unrestricted drive toward the truth, which is ultimately boundless. That should be our life. That should be our life. Unrestricted drive. We refuse to stay within the small world we already know. Don't stay within the small world you already know. You think that's a safe? No, that's not safe. Life, if you don't take the journey, you die. We strive towards the bigger world we do not yet know that is seeking. That is a lifestyle Jesus taught us to emulate. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. When you seek, when you search, when you knock, when you knock, you'll find it. I guarantee that you'll find it. You'll find the living God. Who matters to you? For whom you will sacrifice everything. As Joshua said, everything, everything let down. Let out. What is it? Let out or is it? Everything. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Just everything that God that matters to you. God who has no effect on you. Why do you need God? Why do you need that kind of God? That's only concept of God. Not real God. Anyway. We will meet the living God when we have this seeking attitude. The prophet Jeremiah also said, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. What you have not known, God will reveal to you. Call to me. And the last stage is a stage of waiting. Acknowledge ignorance, you seek, and you wait. Because knowing God is not a result of our effort. 
It's not even the result of our seeking. I'm not saying that our efforts are useless, but I'm saying that knowing God is not the automatic result of our efforts. Knowing God is only God's grace. If God does not reveal himself to us, we cannot know God. And we thank God because God has a strong desire to reveal himself or herself to us. He even sent Jesus Christ to reveal. So in knowing God, there's active part and passive part. Active part is seek, search, and knock. The passive part is wait. And the journey of knowing God is a cycle of active and passive process. Continuous. We seek and wait. We search and wait. We knock and wait. That should be our journey of knowing God. The living God is enveloped in mystery. We pursue but we wait until the mystery is unveiled. We do not know how God will change us. We do not know that. We do not know how God will change each person. You will hear the testimony tomorrow. God changes us in the way we cannot possibly fathom or imagine. God is beyond our imagination. This is not a statement of our limitation, but it is a statement of God's limitlessness. God is beyond our As Isaiah saw that very well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wonderful, isn't it? Then in our personal knowing God, we enter into the endless and limitless world of God. That's why we don't make conclusions or make closure on our own. We wait. We wait what kind of world God will show us. Just the other day, I was shocked that Britain is going to leave you. Oh my goodness. How this world is going to change. I never. Even imagine that that will happen for 52, uh, 48. They are leaving in you. And what kind of world will we see? We don't know. Life itself is mystery. Everything has time. God planted his seed within us. There is time the seed will break out of the shell. That's when we truly need the living God and know God. 
That's why the psalmist said, Be still and know that I'm God. He knew what it meant to wait. Be still and know that I'm God. Every day, this waiting has to be there. Process of letting our prejudice down, seeking and waiting. You know what is most important in waiting stage? What do you think is most important in waiting stage? Faithfulness? Thankfulness? What else? In waiting stage, what is most important? Listening. In waiting stage, the most important thing is listening. God speaks to each of us differently. So we will hear different things. Also, our understanding will be all different. We don't have the whole understanding of God, but it will be our authentic experience and knowledge of God. Isn't that kind of like exciting? Searching for the real God, the living God that matters, who matters to you? Instead of just holding on to the concept of God you already knew, God is going to reveal Himself or Herself to you very fresh, you know, very fresh way. And understanding that will be exciting. Same Paul experience. He lived an exciting life. I mean, he died of persecution. <laughs> Until then. <laughs> Until then. He lived an exciting life. You know? I, mean, I would live that exciting life even though it was like one year, two years. You know? Instead of just living 10 years, always being scared. Not even knowing who God is. Knowing God is knowing ourselves. Because we are created in God's image. And knowing God is also discovering yourself. It is to discover the essence of life. It is to discover the beauty of life. It is to discover the mystery of life. Knowing God is eternal life. Let me show you one again. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's how John saw eternal life. I want all of you to live.